0: I dedicate this podcast episode to Little Duke, proud of you. I dedicate this podcast episode to new life. Welcome to the world, KJ. And I dedicate this podcast episode to the inner you. May the child in you never die. Peace, love, prosperity. good morning good afternoon good evening and welcome to another edition of this is recorded podcast you may have heard this voice before but i got a little video i heard the video uh does wonders people like clips and stuff so i'll chop up the good stuff and get it in there but you can listen on soundcloud and apple Podcasts right now we get these youtube uh, clips up real soon joined by uh legendary person he claims he's the original 23 i'll let him discuss that uh uh baltimore legend army legend fraternity legend community legend you know uh author now all of that man black historian you see the picture if you look over his uh right shoulder you see uh the picture that i took um i'm gonna sue him uh very very soon but uh Without further ado, please introduce yourself one more time.
1: Greetings, greetings, uh, Philip Stark. Glad to be here on This Is Recorded.
0: Yes, sir, yes, sir, man. So Black history, I I wanted to bring you on because I know you know a lot about Black history. I know you you read a lot and uh, I heard from you. They say if you want to hide things from a Negro, put it in a book. And uh, you had a lot of books when I came over your house. I borrowed a couple uh, before. I wanted to ask you, who was your personal uh, black history person that you are most proud of? And who is your celebrity black history person that you really dig? Okay.
1: That's a deep one right there. So
0: I'm going to go way back
1: in the archives, right? Um, when I was in sixth grade in Baltimore, I went to uh, Frankfurt Elementary School. And in the, um, the sixth grade, I said um, I had a, a, a fabulous, fabulous African-American male teacher, Mr. Oresta Shaw. And I thought he was the coolest, most down to earth dynamic individual. He puts you in the mind of a heavy set. Called George Jefferson. The way he dressed, the way he carried himself, he was very proud, you know. And um, you know, he he drove a, um, a, a a yellow Corvette Stingray. And I thought I was like, man, this dude has it together. But he, I mean, he just kept it like a straight buck with us the whole time. He pushed us to the limit, and you know, he was you know, somebody that I looked up to like a personal, you know, I, I think back, you know, in my um in my memory bank and I, you know, you think of people that really, you know, pushed you towards your destiny, you know, kinda, you know, laid the foundation and and and, and built the bridge for you. I, I would say it would have to be uh Mr. arresta Shaw. I believe he's Doctor
0: Arresta Shaw. Yes. But yeah. And your yep. celebrity, who's a celebrity that you've seen on TV, black man, black woman, that you was like, wow, man, I kind of want to be like them when I grow up.
1: Um. Well, growing up, uh, watching television, you didn't have very many channels, and it wasn't very many people looking like us on TV. You know, um, I would have to say... Uh, it's a couple, but Bill Cosby, mm-hmm. okay? Because Bill Cosby had everyone thinking about going to church, going to um, college, right? Yes. You know, he he portrayed um, the African American family in a positive light. It, it's not all good times, you know. You know, temporary layoffs and all that. You know, though that happened, that occurred, it, it showed another side mm-hmm. that made you know us as young people, young African American kids, we all talked about going to college. We thought Hillman was an actual place. Yeah. You know? So him, I would say um, Sidney Portier. Oh yeah. You know, um, you know, and, and if you think about it, you look at the African American actors during that era. They were all in each other's movies. It was, a, you know, uh, Uptown Saturday Night, Let's Do It Again, you know, Jimmy J.J. Walker, you know, all those were pioneers in the craft, right? They, they kind of broke down barriers and made it possible for us to get into that industry, you know, by their sacrifices, the things that they had to endure, because I'm certain that it wasn't easy. And to not be typecast in certain roles, you know, that you know, that was kinda where we were, you know, back then, you know. But those those would be my uh my my true black historians. I know you actually too, I kinda threw a couple
0: in there. Hey, no, it's your world, man. But yeah, like what people don't understand, like for Bill Cosby, they think of everything he did now, but you know, like he you think of what he did now or whatever, but what he did for kids before that You can't diminish what he did and how he freed a lot of people and found some ways for people. You know, people, you know, as life goes on, things happen, things change, but it doesn't change what you did positively in some people's life. Of of course. Yeah, we could do things negatively, of course. But the positive is like, you know, he really did you know preach like hey you need to be this way you know almost a lot of people were annoyed with Bill Cosby because of it but I think his heart was in the right place when Mm -hmm. he was saying you know I don't like these rappers and so he wanted he just wanted a clean image he come from the old school and he knew that you know you need to have this clean image but you know later on years it was more of be who you are come as you are but he come from the old school of like You got to be clean you don't want to curse you don't want to do different things and Mm -hmm. you know the hillman thing is real a lot of people thought hillman was a real place he developed a a show a different world about hbcus who could do that you know that's a big deal and the irony behind that it was a different world he was
1: displaying a different world for us to see because what we get fixated into our own atmosphere our own worlds our own environments and we're kind of tied to that, you know. I'm, I'm you know, I, I see it every day in education now. You know, the kids, the young people, you know, they claim a certain strip of land, a, a strip of real estate that they don't own. Yeah. You know, I hail from College Park, now, there's nothing wrong with repping your hood. By no means, that's that's good. But understand that there's something. That's a vast world outside of your hood. You can rep your hood. And if you really want to rep your hood and be about your hood, do something with yourself, right? Yes. Build yourself up to a point where you can leave your hood, go out, become successful, and come back to your hood, and bring those gifts and jewels that you got on during your travels. Now That's that's repping your hood.
0: Yeah, to and, me. And, and I think a, a updated version of being who you are, and he yeah. talked about that, and that's why I love this dude. And always got, you know, I got the Crenshaw jersey hanging up over the uh, free furniture I just stole. <laughs> but uh, is Nipsey Hussle, man. He preached oh, yeah. that, like, I'm a rolling 60s crip. That's what I came from. But I'm going to show y'all. I bought this strip of land that my brother and us, we used to fight out of. We used to shoot out of. We got arrested out of. But I bought this strip of land to show people in the community that... We can build this up and I could give jobs to felons coming home. And, you know, unfortunately, when he passed, what he was doing was giving some clothes to a guy before he went to go see his family. He wanted to get him right, you right. know, get him cleaned up. You know, he died doing, you know, what he loved and what he believed in. And a lot of people have that debate. See, that's why you don't go back. I don't I don't think so. I believe that everybody. Life is planned, and that was the way it was. And unfortunately, after he passed, a lot of people knew about him. But his story is just amazing, you know, like of how he built up his neighborhood. He never was ashamed to say he was a gang member or anything like that. But he also showed, like, we got to do better because it's only two ways, and everybody know the two ways. We ain't even got to explain it, you know. So he was like, "Look, I'm gonna come back and buy the community. I'm not gonna run from the community." The old uh, Magic Johnson, another black historic. Like, hey, put a Starbucks, put a movie theater in the hood. Mm-hmm. They'll do. They'll that's buy right. it. They'll. They will like it. So right. you know, that's that's what people. You know, I love when people do that. You know, they come back and they show you a way because you could tell people to so they blew in the face, but when they see it, it's totally, totally different. Absolutely, absolutely. So a black historian that we don't know, that we should know? Because I know you know a lot, but, you know, we only know, you know, George, uh. George Washington Carvers, the Martin Luther King, the Malcolm X. Who's somebody we should know that we don't know? uh uh uh, uh. I know you got a million, but if you could just pick one off I'm the top to, of I'm
1: trying to, you know, I got that old, the old-timers, but, um, <sighs> mm mm, mm, mm
0: wow we can come back to it if you want let's come back because it's so it's so
1: many crawling up yeah i
0: know yeah we i'll let you uh come back and think about it but man the age let's talk about the hbcus and like you know howard where Mm. the, the only frat was uh uh formed and stuff like that that how how important is the hbcus and the grooming of the black men and the black women and how do you think it like just shaped everybody from the even from the birth of frats to like the, the frats, you know, people look at them like just parties. But, you know, for me, knowing you, I learned that it is really a gateway to a lot of opportunities and a lot of brothers. I listen to even a guy that's a kappa and he talk about he kept getting fired from jobs, but him having those fraternity ties kept getting him other jobs so how important is the hbcus and the fraternities for the black community
1: oh so if we if we look back at the beginning of of the educational system for us right and we know that we were allowed to attend predominantly white institutes or all white institutes you know um so institutions they had, that had to be established for us to attend places that wanted us there where we could go to school and not have to worry about having armed guards or worrying about, you know, it's already tough enough to go to school to try to, you know, attain that high level, uh, you know, academic achievement, you know, with the stresses of the academics itself is tough, but to go there and you're being alienated. You know, you're being ostracized, you're being, you know, abused, you know, a lot of times, you know, and and, and, and tormented. And, and, you know, that takes away from it, you know, and I am I salute, you know, um, the earlier um, educated uh, individuals who stepped up, you know, to call the G Woodson's of the world to be one of the first African-American, you know, uh, 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 males to graduate from Harvard, you know, things that makes a lot of folks don't know that. And that was back in the day where, you know, we were less desired and and, and, and really not not wanted anywhere on earth, right? But, you know, them paving the way and, you know, helping through, you know, the Moral Land Grants Act uh, and, and things that, legislation like that, which, you know, kind of paved the way for you know, uh, HBCU uh, HBCUs to be established, you know, and that you know started a proud legacy because one, we had to fight for education. We we had to sneak to read, you know. Remember, master know you read? Nah, we had to sneak to do everything. We got hand-me-down books when they talked about you know, um, you know, uh, uh, equal getting uh, you know equal access. It wasn't equal access. We got the hand-me-downs. You know, we we were educated out of churches primarily. You know, shoot, maybe in the back of a barn. You you wherever you could get a lesson, you would get a lesson. And we were proud to get it because we thirsted for that knowledge. And I, I wish that we had that same energy, that same enthusiasm now across the board again. In, in education, I see something different than you know our forefathers. You know, had had laid down and and fought and bled and even died for. You know, having a piece of literature, trying to you know decipher the English language. You know, learning to you know communicate on on, on a higher level with each other because that that made they gave them pause. That that had them fear fearful because they know how they treated us, right? And imagine to you know to their much to their chagrin, if we was to if we were to collaborate and, and 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 assemble and gain power through that knowledge and talking and and, and getting us together to upro you know to to have an uprising, you know, and, and treat them how they treated us.
0: Yep.
1: And that's what that's what I think the one of they, their greatest fears are. You know, that's why they uh, originally now when we talk about like we're going into like talking about rap music right initially they you know they wanted to censor everything and you know as far as the lyrics and things of that nature and I get that totally because a lot of stuff was inappropriate, because it wasn't it wasn't easily you know kept from the the younger ears you know it was widely played you hear on any basketball court or whatever. You know, and it was catchy, you know, but they lifted their restrictions or loosened the restrictions when they saw what it was doing in our communities, mm, right?
0: Negatively,
1: negatively, yeah. absolutely. You know, and they are like, "Whoa, okay, we'll let we'll let this one ride. We'll see how this plays out."
0: Yeah, we'll let them turn on each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just you know. Uh, I was watching something and they was talking about, you know, it's about the birth of hip hop and -hmm. drug dealing and different things. And they were saying that, you know, back in the day when, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang, Rappers the Light comes out. It's all party music. It's all disco era. But they were saying the message is when it really connected with the streets and the message was talking about what people was going through and like junkies in the alleyway and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. And people connected to that and it was positive and people wanted to do that. But as crack came in and the gangs came in, Mm -hmm. the violence came in in the music. And then that's when, you know, a lot of black leaders and stuff was trying to warn against, like, we got to like watch what we giving these babies and showing them because Mm -hmm. it's going to be real influential. But, you know, hip hop, of course... Same thing with education, as you saying, like we thirsted for that thing. But then when you and just hip hop was positive, but then when it turns, it turns. So with mm-hmm. you, you being an educator as well, what is some of the good and bad that you see in the school system? OK,
1: um, some of the good that I see is the, um, the enthusiasm, the professionalism. The, the commitment of the educators, of the teachers, the ones that they strap it on every day, you know, they lace their shoes up and they come to the schools, especially now in a pandemic, right? We first line, hey on the front line every day, and we um my school my my district is one of the um oh, I want to say the only, one of the only districts in Georgia that had we've been. In the building since day one. Since day one. Now we've had some some um, you know some cases in the school. You know with with, with um, you know teachers, cafeteria staff, custodians. I mean, yeah, because you can't hey, run
0: from hey, it. Hey, that case. net yeah. that
1: net is so that's a that's a large net. Mm-hmm. You know, we have kids that he said, well, you know, coronavirus can't be spread by kids, right? But I don't know how that's even not possible, you know, you know. And say, for instance, if 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 the middle school closes down, right, and the middle school, the elementary school feeds to the middle school, some of the siblings of the elementary kids are at the elementary school. Why does not the elementary school close as well? Yep. You know that it's just it just opens us up for, you know, uh, unnecessary exposure in that regard. I think, you know, um, I know there are systems in place, you know, safeguards, and we, we do a great job at, 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 at my school um, with the measures that we put in place and, you know, social distancing. We have the hand sanitizer stations located, um, you know, uh, spaced out throughout the building and, and things of that nature. But the fact of the matter is, we're still vulnerable to, you know, a a situation at any given time, you know? We have parents of kids who may go to school in another district, right? And they're in the building. If their kids get impacted wherever they are, ultimately the trickle-down effect that family because you you wanna take care of your kids, ultimately you're gonna end up with, you're in the building, you've been around other kids, other staff, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's, you know, that's that's one bad thing that I see right now. The good is the enthusiasm, the professionalism of the teachers that come every single day, every single day without fail to do a job that needs to be done. Because, you know, the traditional education setting, you know, with the students in it, that's ideal. That's ideal. But what we found that, is that, some of the kids that struggled in the building are doing so much better in virtual land going, going to the, you know, the fact that everyone learns differently Mm -hmm. and that's not been an option for, for, you know, young people, you know, from K through 12, that's not really, you know, when you get to the high school level, you get a little bit of the virtual, um, uh, um,
0: like a hybrid course right a yeah. hybrid
1: you know that hybrid model where you can kind of do cuz it's it's kind of getting you ready for college cuz that's what you're going to see yeah. a lot of times you know but um you know a lot of people think that you know the kids are going to suffer a great deal you know and, and and maybe on one in one aspect you know they may not get the gain the knowledge you know or, or the aptitude at a certain level that they should achieve and under normal circumstances. However, they're learning a, set, a very valuable set of soft skills that they wouldn't have learned until they got to college. Yeah. You're talking about uh, kindergarten kids on Microsoft Teams, downloading, posting information, videos. Just, I mean, there's so much interactivity you know, that these young people have been exposed to. Now when they get to college, it's like going to be a piece of cake.
0: Yeah, it's going to be extremely easy for them because and then kids, you know, you take a two, three year old that can't even really talk. They know how to work a tablet or phone. If you give them time, they can adapt to it. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I just think, you know, I think the only downside, I guess, what people are saying is that, you know, they, you know, don't have the interaction with the kids and they don't see different teachers and stuff like that. But on the upside, it could have been the kids was bullying them so they couldn't focus or they didn't want to focus and things like that. So, you know, uh, with any transition in any new way, it's going to be pros and cons. And this is going to change the landscape of school from here on out. I even think when kids go back to school, if the parents don't feel comfortable, they'll probably always have a virtual element of school from here on out because they did it for so long. And uh, it's working, like you said, for some. And that's the first time because I don't speak to too many other educators than you. So it's like, wow, all I hear is how bad it is. And the parents want to send them home because, you know, school for most is a babysitter. You know, it's like, hey, you send you over here. I don't do schoolwork. I already graduated, all that bullshit that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. kids shouldn't really hear. But they hear it at home, you know, but school is just so important and hats off and we commend man the teachers they deserve so much and the counselors and everybody from the custodian the principal everybody because school is another home for a lot of kids also school is a food bank for a lot of kids that can't eat and stuff like that so hats off to all the great teachers and people that work in the school system yeah
1: definitely
0: but uh the community You know, now we all think of the frats and we all think of the cues of just party guys and Mm -hmm. they beat people up and they bark and they do all this. But from what I've seen from being around, I've seen them in the community and doing different things and stuff like that. Like, what have you yourself in the frat have been doing, you know, to help the community? Because I know that y'all help out in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. um, So. Again, there's, there's only one frat that I know of. And obviously, I rep that purple and gold all day, every day. Um, service is our watchword. And we, we are a knee deep in the community. My chapter is is um, located, our footprint is the East Point College Park area. And we service the area. We, 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 we do a lot of stuff, you know, in the greater metro area. But where we, where we cut our teeth is right there in East Point College Park. You know, we work with the schools. We have um, mentoring programs. We have Top Dog Robotics over at Conley Hills Elementary, where we work with a group of kids who want to learn about, you know, um, uh, robotics. You know, we we purchase robots for the for the um, program, and we have sessions where they get to code and they learn the code and you know, assemble and get these robots going to, you know, compete and to, you know, kind of, you know, think about how they're going to use this going forward. Some folks, that's so motivated and energetic, and it, it's just inspirational. You know, of course, around the holidays, you know, well, not just the holidays, every day, you know, we're, we're feeding kids, feeding families in the community. You know, we help out, you know, with different, um, you know, at different food banks, um, we have different locations, drop-off points. Now, the schools are doing it now a lot more with the pandemic going on. But we do a lot of other stuff at you know local churches. We will we'll host you know a drive-up, uh, you know food drop, you know drop-off. You come, all you do is just drive up, open pop your trunk, or you know open the door, put it in. There you go, you're off, you know doing your thing. Um, we got football. Uh, you know, camps um, that we do, Football chilling in the Camps, where we do a recruitment summit um, where we link up, um, you know, the student athletes, the football the football players who may have been great athletes, but, you know, we're highly recruited. We bring in a, a, a number of coaches from around the country. And uh, last year we did it at the uh, Hall of Fame downtown. And it was a phenomenal event. We had a couple of hundred kids come through with their um with their huddle films and uh, that transcripts and we had coaches on hand to view that their um information and you know uh, assess them and we had a, a a number of students to get offered right there on the spot you know so I mean we just provide you know a whole litany of different opportunities to. Connect students with resources that are going to help them to excel and to make better their lives, and that's what that's what I'm most proud of. You know, being in the organization. You know, these are some things that I, I did when I wasn't in the organization. But I'm a service-oriented folks, and coming from a military background. You know, I, I you know, I, I'm no stranger to service. You know, and even when I did volunteer work overseas. You know, and, and I'm out there grinding and, and doing my thing. It's always inevitably. It's all it was always some other brothers out there as well, to my right, or to my left, and without fail, I came across so many brothers in Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, just, just you know, uh, just have that 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 giving and that service-oriented spirit, you know, and and it's not about you know. Uh, uh, trophies and medals and congratulations. We do stuff because it needs to be done, you know, and that's that's what we bring to the table.
0: That is great. I'm just wanting somebody, somebody out there that don't know much about frats or don't know much about the cues to see the different side and hear the different side because I've seen it firsthand. But if I'm just an outsider, I just think of the partying and the stuff like that and they being tough guys and – all of that. I would just know that. So I wanted to give people a different perspective here on this is recorded, right. man. So I don't get
1: it twisted now. We 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 go hard with service and we go hard, you know, when we when we having a good time, but we we're always responsible and, and and you know, we just I don't know, we, we just do we just do it hard and do it big.
0: Yes, sir. You know? Yes sir. So being a black man and a young black man at that. Uh, when you became a father, man, what was the importance to you to not just become another statistic? Because I'm sure you came across a lot of brothers going into the military. Like, look, that girl pregnant back home. I ain't got to deal with that. That's Mm -hmm. on her. She could do what she want. I'll pay for it. I don't want to be a part of that. But you were a very active father, and you were very active father to girls in an era where. You know, a lot of people probably felt like the mom do all that girl stuff. I don't do all that. You know, I always hear Mm -hmm. the girls talk about you playing Mortal Kombat with them. Or you going here. Or you trying to do their hair the best you can. Or you just Mm -hmm. always making them sing and do different things. What made you want to be that active father, even though you were young? You know, what made you want to be that? And then into your son later on, what made you want to be that positive role model, even when you could have went anyway.
1: Right. Well, one, you know, coming from where I come from, you know, Baltimore wasn't, you didn't always have, you know, the best examples, right? You didn't always see things in the best light, but, you know, I took a different approach to, you know, things, you know, growing up, you know, one, I, I married at a very young age. I married like right out of high school. I uh, went to basic training uh, August 21st, 1984. I wasn't married when I left, but when I came back after training, uh, it was around, you know, during the Christmas um, holidays or whatever, and I got assigned as a hometown recruiter in, in, in Baltimore. You know, so I got to spend a couple of months home. While I was, while, during that time, I had the opportunity, you know, again, I, you know, I had a high, my high school sweetheart, you know, is, we've been together since uh, we were about 14 years old. You know, we've been intertwined with each other, you know? And, you know, I, I've seen, you know, um, parenting skills at a high level. And I've seen things that, you know, that didn't resemble something that, you know, I would want my kids to have to go through. You know, and my thing is this. You can learn a lesson from anybody. This is about how you spin the narrative, right? If you, you know, grew up in a household where you were constantly being let down, you know, by people that you counted on, you know, I took that in. Not that it happened to me, but I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. But that feeling that you get, you know, I'm like, I wouldn't want anybody else to ever get this feeling. When I have kids of my own, this is what I want to be for them. So that's how I kind of got my model, you know, as far as, you know, being a parent, even at a young age, you know. And, you know, being young, energetic, I didn't mind, you know, athletic, I didn't mind riding bikes with my kids. I, You know, I like video games, you know. I like having fun, you know. So, I mean, you know, it was some give and take. You know, sometimes, even when I was in the military, sometimes, you know, my wife, she had to work, you know, different hours. Like, when she worked in the mess hall, they had to be there sometimes extra early in the morning or later in the evening. You know, so we kind of had to tag team, you know, with things of that nature. You know, um, also, you know, my wife liked to travel um, when we were in Europe and she used to, you know, host trips to different countries, maybe go to Prague, you know, uh, Calavari, you know, different places, you know, because they used to, used to like go to the shop and get, you know, um, crystal and china and all that kind of, you know, whatever. And the girls didn't go because they were too young. So they had to hang with me, you know? My, my routine was going to the gym, you know, I ride the bike to the gym, I I'd ball all day, you know, come back home and just, you know, just chill out. I would take them with me, you know, we ride bikes or I put them in the car, even when, uh, you know, they, they were little, I'd get them their little toys and, you know, they, we just hung out, you know? When, um you know, and, and that went on for years, you know? I had two daughters. I have two daughters and never thought I would ever have a son. But I was blessed with one, you know, about, uh, about, 17, about 17 and a half years ago. He's about to graduate in a few months. And, um, you know, when I got him, you know, I knew that was a challenge, especially during the time that, that he came, because there was so much going on in the world, you know, 17, you know, years ago. But even more so now, you know, and it's not that it's um, any different than, you know, back when I was a kid, we had some of the same challenges. You know, police brutality was live and well when I was 17, you know, and I, I, I cringe and I worry about things, you know, that that can impact my son. You know, if we think back a year ago, it's about almost a year ago to the day where a young boy was just jogging in his neighborhood. In, 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 a, in a neighborhood, right? Just jogging. And he was approached by two white assailants who didn't think he belonged there for whatever reason and took Madison to their own hands and ended up killing that young man. Mm. Those are the very things, you know, that, that I worry about when I send my kid out every single day. My daughters as well. But when you send out a young black man and and he's a nice size uh uh young man, no one's really wanting to talk to a big black African American boy
0: uh-uh.
1: or man. They are
0: scared <laughs> automatically right.
1: automatically you go to the defensive you know, and that just makes it, you know, difficult for us, you know, when we go out and, you know, but, I mean, I just take my time and I just, you know, try to make sure I pour into him, you know, the things that, I, you know, I, I feel he should, you know, arm himself with so that he can be able to navigate to where he's going and successfully return home each time. You know, and but each you know, it's always anxiety,
0: it's always, you know, um, you know, a little angst, but hey, I mean, we, we gotta live, you oh, know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I that's mean, I think that's just, you know, appearance, you know, fear is that you do all that you can do, but at the end of the day, what's done is done. The world is the world. Whatever mm-hmm. God has set out, he has set out. So You got to just know that, you know, hey, I did everything in my power to, like, make everything go right, and so far, so good, man. I mean, you did a hell of a job. I've been around for quite some time, and I got to see it, and I know from you personally, I learned by example. It ain't many things anybody has just told me in my life. I I watch people. I watch, because everybody can tell you things, you know, in your life, but, their actions is how it's been and i mean you've been a a great stand-up guy man i'm really proud of your accolades the things you've done the way you raise your family the way you carry yourself because i mean you have many strikes black man military frat that gives everybody a turn off from like oh no this guy is this box this stereotype Mm -hmm. and you couldn't be further away from any stereotype anybody can put you in man and you couldn't you blew me really out the water. When I get to this little thing right here in my hand mm-hmm. that a lot of people, you know, should pick up, we're not going to tell them. We're just going to say the Dear Fear, uh, DM me, get at uh, start." It will let you know how to get right. How to, This book could change you, man. It could let you know a lot of black men, a lot of black women, they got these fears, but let's talk about them. Let's be vulnerable because the only way we can help is share our stories and you could free somebody's mind. You know, Tupac I, said, I might not be the change in the world, but I might spark the brain to be the change in the world. So the Dear Fear, you got to go get that, man. And without, you know, I, don't, I want them to read the book. Just know Dear Fear is available right now. We'll get all that information for you. Just DM us. However you're hearing this, just let us know. We'll get it to you. But what's the fear of yours that you overcame in life? You know, I don't want to tell them the book, but I right. just want well, you a fear that you've overcome in life. It, since this book is titled "Dear Fear," yeah,
1: uh, one um, fear of uh, not belonging, right? Because I used to, I used to harness and, and embrace uh, a mindset that told me that it was okay for you not to be able to go into that place, that venue. It's okay for you not to to, to uh, you know be able to attend a, a Super Bowl or a World Series you know because you know certain events they make cost prohibitive right you know and it's by design you know you can go to you can go to uh, any football game any baseball game all year long right you can get a ticket to just by any game no matter who they're playing. Well now when it gets to the main event, the showdown, you know, they they make it exclusive because mm-hmm. since, you know, this is a high, and I get the business aspect of it, you know, everybody wants to see this game because it's that game. So we're gonna, you know, it's the law of supply and demand, you know. So the, the demand is great. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna put, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some zeros on that thing, you know, and it's gonna keep a certain certain group of people out. But harnessing that mindset had me to the point where I didn't even aspire to do it, you know, and that's a problem. You shouldn't shortchange yourself just because of the mindset of others. You do and speak and say and go wherever you choose to go, you know, and I had to to flip that narrative, you know, and and as a result, I go anywhere I want to go. You know, it's by design. You know, I've been around the world three times and it's not to brag, it's just, it's out there for you to do, so do it. No one's, there are no borders up, <laughs> you know, maybe now due to COVID. Yeah. But I mean, you can travel, you get your passport and you can travel, you can plan to go anywhere in the world. You know, it's, it's that simple. And then when you go outside of your comfort zone, your area, you know your hood, your you know, you're going to see some other things, right? That's going to change your perspective. And when you change your perspective, you can grow. And when you grow, you can be better. When you can be better, you can help others be better. And that's contagious, you know. You know, uh, Reggie said earlier. You know, he talked about that spark. On the mind, right? That can change things, right? Well, it only takes one spark to make a whole fire, a roaring inferno. One spark could set this thing ablaze and just open your eyes and your mind to a whole new dimension. So, hey, yeah there
0: it is. I think that's it, man. We definitely got to talk about your foundation, man. I see you got your logos, you got your website. What are you trying to do with that foundation?
1: No, let's see, well, the, the name of my foundation is Hand Up 2 3 Foundation Incorporated, right? And Hand Up is a uh, community outreach um, uh, based program. It's a nonprofit. And what we do is uh, we empower people, right, to get out of their current situations. We educate them so that they do not repeat the same practices that got them into difficulty in the first place. See, hand up two, three is a hand up, not a hand out, all right? So we, we don't want to revolve door. We don't want pe- people to become dependent on, you know, you know certain things that we are able to do, that we are blessed to be able to do with our partners and, and things of that nature. But, you know, it's just, it, 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 it was born out of service, right? Me doing the, the same things that I've always been doing, but I put a name and a brand to it so that, again, we can ignite the minds of others, excite people about helping each other, you know, collaborating within the community, connecting people with the knowledge to do better and to prosper, you know?
0: And I'm proud of that. Man, I think that's great, man. I think you're doing great work. I think uh, everybody, once again, Look at that Dear Fear, man. Great book. You know, just some some black men in there being vulnerable and letting them know. You know, I think everybody, you know, I sit and think, you know, a lot of how emotionally broken a lot of black men are. And, you know, that comes from the plantation of, like, they know, like, I'm going to take the strongest person in here and I'm going to try to break them. They call it buck breaking. You know, like, hey, I'm going to take him and show him the biggest guy in here ain't shit if i say he ain't shit or if i break him down in front of all of you to show you mentally that mental warfare of like to know that if i let them read they might get smart enough to do some things they know you know the beauty and the power of blackness and how smart black people are and if but so they always do, whether you're watching Black Messiah, Malcolm X movie, Martin Luther King, they know if we create this division, you know, I was talking to a family friend, Mr. Richard, he was telling me, uh, they were telling Malcolm, we got recordings of you cheating on your wife, so you might as well kill yourself before this comes out. Just really like, they really have a conscious effort of like breaking us mentally because they know like they see the greatness. So they try to break you mentally and you cannot let them. And we got to do more of, you know, the petty arguments and the bullshit. And I'm not talking to my family for 50 years because we disagreed one time. And we got to stop that shit because it's a a very, uh, it's a very like powerful effort into not unifying us and bringing us together. Because they wouldn't spend no time and money if they just thought we was a bunch of stupid um niggas like they that like that like we sometimes look at each other as, you know, like well I'm in this ghetto, I'm in this situation, I ain't never gonna get out, I ain't never gonna be nothing. When these dudes smoke weed every day, they drink every day, this is self medication because of a lot of bad things that happen, you know, in their life and they don't wanna come to grips with it. And I like that the Dear Fear book is breaking down and they talking about some personal stories and sharing that, you know, hey, man, it's so, hey, seek help. Seek therapy and therapy is called healing. So you right. don't necessarily have to go to a therapist, even though that is a good thing. You need to do whatever it takes to get you to a place of healing. Have that conversation, you know deal with that thing within you go get help in any way for you to get right because i i just feel like a lot of black men hold things in you know women are emotional and we grow up like nah that's some punk shit or this or that we don't get off i ain't gotta hug you i ain't gotta do this do that but it's like we gotta break that mode of like holding everything in and we gotta share because we talk about that spark you mm-hmm. could be speaking directly to a younger you or a younger person, and really free them with some of the things you said. But if you hold it inside, nobody will know. You'll That's go right. to the grave. Just
1: creating a whole, you know, uh, generation of dysfunctional thinking individuals, right? You know, um, like you said, you know, and it, it, it's based on how we were raised. You know, when you when you talk about a hey, you fall down. <laughs> you and your sister racing, or you, and, you know, a little girl in the neighborhood racing. You both of y'all, because girls was fast back when we was little. Yeah, they would whip They would whip your tail.
0: Yeah,
1: and you running, you leaning, and you running on. We run on asphalt. Slip and fall. Both of y'all might slip and fall. Mm-hmm. You know, or what have you. You fall. You hit the curb. You 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 hit your arm. You break your arm. Bone sticking out your arm. She just got a little, you know, road rash. Couple little, you know, rocks on the leg. Just wipe it off, you know. Whatever she good, you know. The aid will automatically go to her. Mm. You were told, hey man, what you crying for? What you better or, or no? Not not what you crying for. You better not cry. Yep. Your arm is literally, you know. Split in half, the bone is coming out. You're, you're leaking, you know. But you're told you better not cry. I'm like, Wait a minute, what emotions am I supposed to have at this particular moment? Because this actually hurts like hell.
0: Exactly. You know,
1: and, and and you know when those endorphins and that pain kick in, tears just come. They don't. You don't just say, "All right, calling up." You'll, you send a signal to your brain, send down tears. Now I think I should be crying. Yep. That that shit comes by itself. You don't control for that. Yep. you know you know so i mean we we just got to do a better job of especially without without young men you know it's okay to tell tell your sons your nephews your brother your father hey man I love you man yeah. I missed you i missed you you know and it's okay to to embrace it's okay to hug them all the way i know we do the little, Wanna, uh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. wrap (laughs) y'all around and hug your your people. You know, because that's love, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Because if you are are taught as a young man how to express yourself to each other, right, then when you should, you know, develop and mature and you get in a relationship and you have feelings, you know, that you want to express to your, you know, your significant other, and you're not holding things in. You're not, you know, uh, being non you know, you, you're, you're disclosing things so that you can get a real understanding of who each other, you know, who you are to each other, right? And that gives the other person the opportunity to love you the way you need to be loved and not playing guesswork. We shouldn't have to guess, well, oh, I wonder what he likes or I wonder what she likes, you know? We have to, you know, we have to... We had to talk about it, yeah. you know, yeah.
0: and that that's just that makes things a whole lot easier. And I think it, I think with a lot of men, it's not intentional. It's just that, like, you know, well, if you're a dad, you said, well, you don't know what my dad put me through, and then your dad will tell you. Well you don't know how my dad was Instead of breaking that cycle right. We gotta You know we have to break the cycle rather than mm-hmm. I'm treating you better than I was Treated that's not good enough though You right. know like right. you know, I, I'm, I'm sure and I'm hey dad I'm sorry That you went through that But I need this you know what I'm right. saying Like right. but you know I think a lot Of black men they try to do Better you know and for the most part They do do better but we gotta Keep that idea that mindset of let's keep doing better not let's just Mm -hmm. not compare because that becomes an excuse like hey uh, my dad used to fuck me up dude it's like yeah but that you know but you still yeah you still you know do a lot to me maybe you don't do as much but you know we got to get out of that mode and it's (laughs) uh, it I think people got to get comfortable. You know, if you want to build muscle, that shit hurts. You know, it's painful and you Mm got to work at it daily and it's not overnight. So it's the same thing with emotions and stuff like that. If you want something to work and, you know, you got to get uncomfortable with being told you wrong. You got to get uncomfortable with having conversations that really affect you instead of, you know, a lot of black men. We get to these. 40 year old 50 year old 60 year old 70 year old and you just hold so much in and then on your deathbed you wondering like damn i wish i would have talked up years ago or said this bothered me because phil could have did something to me that i ain't never told him when i was seven years old i was holding something in you Mm -hmm. know and i just never said nothing but if we would have had that conversation and if we were vulnerable with each other, maybe we could have got somewhere. But instead, right. I that's looked right. at Phil a certain way since I was seven years old because of something he probably didn't even know he did, you know? Right. So we just got to change that. We got to do better. I think you're doing great things in this uh, in this uh, space of growing and nurturing. I think we're moving in a good direction, but we have to keep that, that unity because I think – you know, I, I don't think – I know that's what – you know, a lot of people fear is the unity and us giving game and us, you know, taking those chains off of us mentally because that's all it right. is. They they that's took it. it off. You know, they even said what uh, Elijah Muhammad met with the leader of KKK and they said we're gonna take these hoods off, but then we're gonna be your judges and your school systems and right. government and presidency. Right. We're right. going to be your, your at the system. Yeah. We're going to take these hoods right. off, you know? Right. And, and, and for us, we got to take those chains off of like, if I tell Phil about this business venture, he might be better than me and I'm not going to do this. And we're not going to do that. Or we got to break these chains of like, right. you know, I owe you $5 from 20 years ago. And then it's just like, we got to speak about these things and uh, apology is change behavior. Anybody can say, "I'm sorry," but if you tell somebody how you feel, and they change, that's the apology. And we just need to get into that change mentality of like, "Hey, I'm not perfect. You told me I did that. I'm, you know, sorry I did that. Let's move on." And I, I think we can get there, man. People like you, people like, you know, the frat and different people doing good things in the community. I, I think we can get there. I know a couple of good guys. I just wanted to bring you on because you're a black historian yourself, Phil Stark, first of his name, Lord Stark. <laughs>
1: right, House Stark. That's right.
0: Yes, sir. Before we get out of here, man, speaking to existence, what this foundation gonna do for the youth, man, for the kids and beyond, even the older people. Well, um,
1: again, like I said, um, um, you know, community. We're gonna uplift the community. We're gonna help them, with, you know, with resources. Um, financial planning, assistance. You know, I I even want to dabble in the investment um, piece, letting people know how to, you know, uh, properly invest your money, what to invest in, different, you know, things of that nature. Um, I have some scholarships coming down the pike as well, too, because I want to promote higher education, all right? Not necessarily a college education, just something beyond the high school level, because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to need a a, a, a skill set that's going to require someone to pay you a decent wage, right? Or a skill set that's going to require you to to go out on, on that entrepreneurial limb and say, "Hey, I want to do this for myself by myself," right? And when I say by myself, not out there on you know out there flapping by yourself with collaboration and support a support system, you know, but you punch your own clock, right? You pay yourself, you know, but those skills are invaluable. You got to have that. got to have that because no one is just lining up saying, hey, we have free money for you. People that look like you. No, it, it doesn't exist. That doesn't exist, right? But you have to make yourself, you have to prepare yourself in such a way that it's hard for people to tell you no. All right? So if you arm yourself with the knowledge, you have more degrees than the thermometer. You have impeccable character. You know, you're just a great person to be around. It's hard for people to tell you, no, I don't care where you go. It's hard. Even for people that really don't want you to be there, I'm like, God, go no, on. This guy right here, I, I, I don't know. You're going to make them think about it at least. Now, people are going to do what they do, right? But you make it hard for them to say no to you. And that's what I leave you with. Make it hard for them to say no.
0: And this is recorded.